this episode, CEO Dutch Mendenhall sits down with his longtime friend, self-storage giant, Scott Myers. Listen as the two business leaders discuss the importance of leadership and the value of integrity and faith. Also hear Scott Myers break down his preparation for recession and how he thinks interest rates affect the economy. We see, you know, we're seeing a slowing down of people. People are holding on to cash right now. I mean, when the Fed comes out and they basically state that we are going to raise rates until we break the economy, well, you know, that then invokes a lot of fear in, in people. So they're they're pulling out of the stock market. You know, the, the stock market is still going up and down, back and forth, but you know, primarily going down. So we got a whole bunch of folks sitting in cash right here, right now, on the Rad Podcast. Explore wealth. One of the things about my life I've always looked at is I always did modeling. Just naturally as a person, like as a kid, when I watched someone else throw a baseball and the kid that threw the baseball the hardest on the team, I, I modeled. And as I looked at life and different things, I looked at, you know, there was a commercial real estate training we did and, and you know, the leadership there, they were a mess. There was a lot, just a lot of different things that were a mess. And I looked at Scott and Christine, I said, here's a model like I could, I could follow. Here's a model I could believe in, I could be a part of. And so Scott's teaching self storage investing nationally. Um, he's speaking, you know, on some of the largest real estate stages in the country. He's in the hustle of grinding of what I would call building an empire. He isn't screwing up his life. He isn't screwing up his kids. He's not divorced. He's not on drugs, like all of the different things that are out there. And his faith was a big important part of his foundation, which has always been a big important part of my wife and SNI's foundation. And so not only as I believe Scott is the, the only authority or the true authority when it comes to self-storage investing in America, I mean, he owns self and storage investing.com, but he's also, you know, a, a real man who's, who's very real about living life the right way. And, and so, you know, as he shares today, jot it down. He's built an empire. He's raised his family the right way. Take notes. It's going to be great to be able to sit here and, and talk with him. And, you know, Scott and I hadn't talked much probably the last, what, five or six years, yeah. maybe, maybe even longer, but we've, we've seen each other from time to time in the industry and stuff in the last year, we've had a chance to chat more and, and kind of dive in to some different things as, you know, our accelerated success has happened. So, you know, Scott, What's going on in, in, in your business world right now? Kind of share with everybody, you know, give them the quick 411. Yeah, well, um, well, well, first of all, Dutch, uh, thanks so much. And it's been incredible to watch uh, your rise as well. And uh, and, and you're right. I'll, I'll give you kudos right back to what you just uh, said about yourself. And I recognize that you model very, very well. You are a student of business and you've been a student of, of life. And uh, you've certainly hit your wagon to some incredible people throughout the years and uh, and taken from them and, and, and built an incredible business uh, on your own. So uh, to watch your rise and the way that you've done it and, um, and taking the steps that you and Vanessa have taken to just be intentional as well has been um it's just been incredible to watch so um i too am thankful that we've been able to, to reconnect and sorry that it took so long but uh man you, you were busy building while i was um, just still kind of cruising i guess uh, i i need to i guess i'm catching up to do now <laughs> well i had to step away for a little while right mm -hmm. like i had to kind of step away from thought the other thought leaders in the world i had to step away from the masterminds i had to step away from education even training myself which goes contrary to what most people say right mm -hmm. i kind of had to shut everything for me I had to shut everything out for a little while to grow and build my business. And I had taken in so much for so many years that I was just kind of at a point where I had to kind of quiet everything mm -hmm. and stop the noise. I don't know. You, you're kind of though you're on that constant pursuit journey of, of, of growth, both business and personally too. Right. 
Yeah, um, I, I don't get through as many books as I used to. There's a whole lot of podcasts uh, that I listen to, a whole lot of uh, audio books. But um, nevertheless, um, I, I think life is a is a continuous journey of just learning how to do things uh, better and and in in the ever present desire to be even more self-aware as we get older. I think it's the greatest gift that we can give our kids. And, and that's been a reminder as our kids get older uh, to, to navigate through that and come alongside of them that um, I'm still trying to figure myself out. And we all are, I think, until uh, until the end. You know, we don't really have ourselves figured out. And the more the more we are aware of who we are and truly who we are in Christ and and, and what it is that we're put on this planet for, then um, then I think that that's, that is what brings true contentment and fulfillment as we get on in our years and both uh, personally and, and financially. I I like the self-awareness comment because like for me, broken and strong or broken and complete or broken and, you know, like all of the different Mm -hmm. things like the yin and the yang, right? Mm -hmm. Reality as, as, as as you're on the walk is, is so important, right? I am, Mm -hmm. you know, a powerful leader, but at the same time, I'm I'm accountable and I'm humble and I know what my weaknesses are and what my, my challenges and my strengths are. And if, if you can't admit, I always say this, if you can't admit you're wrong, then you can't ever be right. So yeah. <laughs> well, if you can never admit that you're wrong, then you can't hire somebody to do what it is that you can't do very well, right? True, too. <laughs> True too. Um, <clears throat> have you struggled? So I usually see like with a lot of leaders, I see some of them struggle with delegating because they kind of have that control freak yeah. part of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Others, you know, delegate so much because they can't micromanage. What, which parts have you, what, what do you feel like you've struggled with? As a leader, yeah, I, I I think it's a little bit of both, Dutch. Um, I by nature, I'm I'm very I don't want to say controlling and not a, a perfectionist. Although if I'm saying that, uh, if I had to be honest, uh, there's I I don't demand perfection, but excellence. Uh, you know, anything that we put out, uh, regardless of how you know performance, we we need to perform at, at a level that is is high and that is uh, excellence. And so I I have very little tolerance for simple m- mistakes. There's certain things that I want to have done my way. And I think uh, everybody does. And I, I am happy to delegate because I can't do it all. And at, at the pace that we've grown and we've been growing, I, I recognize that. And that's the first step. You know, any book that you ever read and any other person that you follow that, you know, talks about growing and scaling an organization. Yeah. Nobody's going to do it as good as you. You have to be good with that. You hire good lieutenants underneath you and then there's going to, they're going to make mistakes and you come alongside them and you help them and, and make it clear up front what it is and what your expectations are and help them to share the vision, but also let them carve their own path and you don't micromanage and stand over top of them or, or you're going to lose them as well. That still doesn't mean that I um, don't have the right. It is my organization. My names on it and I started it and I can step in if there's something that I don't like and if something's going in the wrong direction. It doesn't mean that um, you have to be hard and fast and let everybody do you know everything their way. If you can see that you know there's some things that are maybe we deviate away from our brand just a little bit and we're starting to lose our identity or if there's something that yeah I think it can be a little bit better and so I'm going to come alongside and you know, maybe shore this up a little bit. So uh, that, I, I sound like I'm being wishy-washy on that Dutch and, and that it is very situational probably. You know the answer is always it depends and it does depend upon uh, that, that situation but I still still, you know, if I, if, if we're on a fulcrum, I say, I still lean towards there's things that I want to have done my way. Um, I do want to make sure that it is done with excellence. And I think that's more, more than anything. It's because well, um, when you build something, you don't want it to see it, uh, you know, even tarnished a bit. It, 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 but wishy-washy is a part of being a, a great leader in a way that pe- like, if you're not leading an organization, it's very hard to understand that. Like when I have a great example is I, I you know, promoted a, a new leader in charge of a, one of our departments. Mm-hmm. So I want to give them the ability to train his people, ability to hire, fire his people, give him the ability to make decisions about his part of our organization. But at the same time, there's challenges and there's moves and there's things that I need to have happen. 
mm-hmm. right? And I need the I need his part of the organization to run the way I need it to run in order to fit into the overall mm-hmm. mold, right? Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> there's there's a balance between being hands-on and making sure that the things that you know have to happen and you need to happen for the organization, but also allowing having someone else giving them enough rope so that they can grow and develop. Like another mm-hmm. great thing is like certain things that just, you know, when it comes to our brand or our reputation, there, there's no gray area, you mm-hmm. know, when it comes to right. um, mm-hmm. like one of our programs, right. Our inner circles, you know, partnership deals. I say either in a, they're either in a deal or they're not. And if they're not mm-hmm. in a deal, then they get, they get refunded. Right. And, and right. it's just, it's, it's hands down. And, you know, three months, six months later, if I don't see someone in there. I, I, you know, there's, there's an intensity to me when it comes to mm-hmm. that, that, you know, I don't believe in being overly um, intense or, or, or a dictator when it comes to running my organ or coming off as, as that mm-hmm. in my organization. But at the same time, when it comes to certain things, there's ways there's, there's no certain things are not gray. Certain things are black right. and white. So it's, yeah, I hear you with reputation. Let's talk reputation, right? Mm -hmm. Every time there's a thought leader that comes into our world, right? They can be seen as competition. They can be seen as Mm -hmm. something good. They can be seen as something different. You know, you and I've seen a lot of people come and go, Mm -hmm. um, people that don't exist in the industry anymore and people that have existed, you know, over a decade. And then you see brand new people come in, you know, Mm -hmm. when you guys talk about your reputation, what, what is the most important you know, traits, values that, that you guys have over there as a company? You know, it's interesting. I mean, we look at this, um, our, our whole business, Dutch, is a, is, a, is a journey. And it isn't until you get on um, in years until you recognize that the package continues to just uh, begin to evolve. And I mean, we've just we kept our nose to the grindstone and just worked really hard in the, in the very beginning. And we kept our nose clean because we recognize that um, we have to answer to our lenders and we have to make sure that we pay them back <laughs> when when the loan is uh, is due and we need to pay them on time. And then when we begin raising private equity, we needed to do what we said. We needed to make sure that our, our projections are pretty strong and we have consultants and folks that come alongside of us because um, there's no turning back. And if we put a projection out there to our equity partners, um, this is a marathon. And, and if you if you mess that up, if you fall short of that because you just didn't do your job, well, they're not going to come back to you. And so every step along the way was one that we are, we are building something, you know, for longevity. Um, this uh, we we treated everything in our business as a as a, a marathon. There was never a sprint. There was never a one and done. Or let's just make some money and get out. And we we didn't really recognize the importance of that. I mean, first of all, we didn't know how to do it any other way. Um, However, we don't recognize the importance of that until later on when now uh, I go to a family offices event in New York last week and the panel discussion of all the heads of these family offices that are deploying 50, 100 million, 500 million dollars into these syndications and larger you know, funds and equity projects. You know, they, they asked, um, um, the, the, the moderator asked the panel, you know, what is it that you as the head of a family office, what are you looking for and, uh, from a syndicator, from a fund, anybody like myself before you invest with them? And all of them, hands down, there's eight of them on the panel, said integrity. Well, you can't, you can't put that on a website. We have integrity. You can't model it. You can name your company integrity, you know, LLC or something, but that isn't something that anybody finds out or understands until they begin to do business with you. So these folks that are deploying capital, you know, they, they need to troll, they need to follow you for a little while and they need to be able to find that. Um, and so the fact that we've been around for a little while, the fact that if you look on the internet, which, um, you know, leaves a lot of traces, you know, if they don't find any instances of, you know, any, anything nefarious, or if you're still in business and been in business for a long time, well, that's one piece. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to show them and they need to be able to find somehow some breadcrumbs that you've left that, you know, maybe you went above and beyond. 
you gave up some of your profits in a syndication deal to get your investors the IRR. You know, you shorted your your percentage to get them theirs and meet your projections. Maybe it's a little bit self-serving so that you could hang that on your website to say that you've met that. But at the end of the day, you don't have to. Markets and things and deals change. And, you know, many people wouldn't do that. You know, maybe you decided to, to eat the cost of uh, all the attorney's fees to get out a bad partner, even though you could have charged that back to the fund or to somebody else, but you didn't because it wasn't the, the right thing uh, to do. Or the ways that you're taking care of employees or anything else. I mean, that's just for us, uh, you know, we, we not only live by our faith, but that it's, it's a big part of what we do and who we are in our business. We don't promote it as a reason to invest with us. But, you know, when we get to the place where we are now, Dutch, especially as we head into this next economy, that's people are really, you know, the huge returns and everything else that uh, many of these other folks that are raising capital, that's that only goes so far because um, that 50 percent of that was the market and that market is gone. So now we're separating the wheat from the chaff and those folks that have been around like you and I that have been through a couple of recessions. We've grown a large company. Um, we haven't had missteps or we wouldn't be around. We've been able to profit during that time. We don't have any baggage uh, with us. And they can point to and talk to any one of our equity partners or any one of our staff and say, yeah, these guys are doing it right. And here's why I'm still working here. And here's why I still invest with this company. You know, that is, um, it, it's not part of the brand. It's just how we do it. But we recognize that that is one of the reasons why uh, people are attracted to us. And that has helped the brand over the years. Speaking of this next economy. And actually, let me define this real quick. Family offices, for those of you who don't know, right? It's like um, you think of billionaires like Bezos or or, or Gates or, or Buffett or those kind of things. Um, Musk, right? You think of some of those billionaires. They have offices. They have part of their organization that, that invests their money, that runs their money for them. And for every one of those billionaires, there's also, you know, you know, 200 people or a thousand people that are worth a hundred million or a couple hundred million. Right. And so these family offices, you know, run the money, they invest the money. It's just something that is out there. That's not available to a guy who's doing his first flip deal or his first real estate deal. Right. Um, but it is available to people who who've raised capital, have proven a track record, have proven a history, who've made people money, who've made sacrifices, right? You know, one of mine was, you know, we had an investor who had a house stolen from him, right? Fraudulent deeds, you know, and those kind of things literally stolen from him. And we just, you know, bought him out of the deal. And we knew it'd be a, you know, 18 month, you know, journey legally to get the house back and all of those things. We just bought him out, moved him on. And it's very similar to what you're talking about with your you know, your IRs, you know, taking a bite to make sure they, that they hit the returns. But the reality is when you start to play the game to the place where Scott and I've gotten to, it's really no longer about money to us. And I think that's, you know, there's a freedom to that, but if you can work on that in the beginning, it also changes how you approach the business. And yes, you get on the wealth journey to make money, but at the same time, the money will be there when you let go of the money. And that's mm -hmm. very, very challenging because it's not that we don't pay. I know you, you pay hard attention to numbers. I know you probably get KPIs every single day. I know that you are, you know, there's, there's an intensity to that. But as far as my personal wealth, I'm more interested in what we're building because mm -hmm. I know my wealth is where it needs to be and it'll continue to grow and continue to get, but I let go of that, that, that other part of it. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on, 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 on that part of that share? It is, um, yeah, it's interesting that, that, and not coming from a place where you say, okay, well, we're set. We don't have to do this anymore. Now it's just a game and, and, and money is just a way to be able to keep score. It's, uh, it truly is about building something great. And I've, you know, from the beginning, I guess I, I was built to, to just, I don't know, kind of fix things and, and maximize and optimize. That's, that, that's just what I, I get a kick out of that, no matter what it is. I used to buy or pull bikes out of the, the trash uh, at the side of the road at the curb on trash day and fix them up and sell them to my buddies. And then I did it with 
cars. And then we started to do it with houses and then apartments. And then we began to buy businesses that way, you know, real estate components that had a business component to it and just fixing those up and optimizing them. And so anytime you're looking at an opportunity to be able to fix something and, and, and make it greater, that's what I get a kick out of. And so you, you measure that the way that we keep scores in the numbers, you know, the valuation where you take a business or how much profit um, in a particular deal, if you will, or if we sell off a property or a portfolio um, and all that does is um, allow us to keep score. Um, but that is, that is the, that, that's the fun part. That's more of the legacy part of it is um, now we get to we get to do that with more commas and zeros and we get to leverage that and we get a, a seat at the table to do joint ventures and do some bigger things because we've done it right and we've done it um, well along the way and it, it really is a at some point that shift and I don't know it's different for everybody but I don't know that I ever Dutch I was you're right I look at KPIs I'm really good at real estate math um, but Christina, she handles all the personal stuff. She lets me know when I have money and gives me my allowance. And <laughs> if I, if I, we can buy a toy or what kind of vacation that we're going to go on, you know, we, we, we get the ability to do that. But that is completely secondary to anything else. You know, as long as there's breath in my lungs, then uh, I'm going to continue to go out and find opportunities, beat my competition to the punch and uh, be able to, you know, turn these things around, whatever this thing is, a business, um, a real estate and uh, make it the best it can be. And uh, that's, that's what I, that's what keeps me moving and, and, and gets me up every day. I mean, everyone else might not agree with this, but my, you know, Vanessa's our household CFO too, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, rule number one, you want to be a successful, you know, man, right? Get a really good woman to, 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 to help you there. And, and our, and our family, I always tell the joke. I'm like, you know, find a great wife, have a great life. Mm -hmm. Don't find a great wife. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I had a nephew get married last Friday. Speaking of things, fixing things, optimizing mm -hmm. things, making things better, right? The government is constantly on a journey of trying to <laughs> tweak, adjust the economy, Break. right? <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, I, I don't completely understand it because I come from the school of economics of mm -hmm. true capitalism, which, you know, the economy will write itself. It'll adjust yeah. itself. The mm -hmm. market will shift, you know, the, they, raised interest rates to slow down the real estate market. But at the same time, when people stopped buying, it would have slowed down the real estate yeah. market. And until that happened, it was mm -hmm. unnecessary. Right mm -hmm. now there's other things, you know, as far as, you know, hyperinflation affecting people's ability to buy common things. Right. Which I, which mm -hmm. I can, I can understand. So what do you, what do you think about raising interest rates where that's taking our real estate economy? Where do you think we're headed in the next, you know, 90 days in the next year? Yeah, well, that, that's the answer, or that's the question being uh, asked on virtually every uh, podcast. Why well, I have to ask? Right now. I know, I know. Well, because I do the same thing, and that's, um, you know, and my answer is that my crystal ball is broken, but we're, you know, interesting. We, we, we talk with a lot of other syndicators uh, as well and folks that are raising a lot of capital and deploying a lot of capital and doing a big deals. And, you know, those folks that were raising, you know, $100 million in a fund are now backing that down, and their fund is going to be $50 million. And I don't want to keep going back to the private equity and the large dollars, but these are the folks, I mean, we follow the folks that are that have an ear to you know, the ground and so you know what we're seeing right now is um is that really because they want to raise less though or no it it's not no it's not they're, they're not they're not able to raise more <clears throat> that's it i mean i think you know the answer and that is we're, we're in a place right now and this is a little different every recession is different uh, there's lots of lessons that we pulled from 08 there's lots of lessons that we pulled from um, 99 2000 um, this every in every recession is a little bit different and this one right now is it's not going to be a, a a real estate recession because it didn't start that way you know it started with uh, the inflation of consumer products 
products, um, period. And now we're heading into the place where we're going to see a devaluation of real estate secondary to that because of rising interest rates, because that's the, the monetary policy that the Fed is um, deciding is what's going to slow the economy and inflation down. Um, to your point, capitalism works, um, that the, the market works and it always corrects itself. It always has and it always will. Um, however, what, what I see right now is um, in, in terms of the effects, we see, you know, we're seeing a slowing down of people. People are holding on to cash right now. I mean, when the Fed comes out and they basically state that we are going to raise rates until we break the economy, well, you know, that then invokes a lot of fear in, in people. So they're they're pulling out of the stock market. You know, the, the stock market's still going up and down, back and forth, but you know, primarily going down. So we got a whole bunch of folks sitting in cash, and in even though, you know, we know we know what the math looks like. Um, inflation isn't really six the six percent that they said it was last summer it's not the nine percent that it, they said it was this summer um the real inflation rate uh, all in is somewhere in that 14 15 maybe 16 percent range you know looking at your own finances um or your investable dollars or as your corporate cash if you're not gaining uh, earning more than 14 15 percent uh, on your cash then you're going backwards that's the reality. Um, you know, whatever number that you choose as inflation, um, if you're not um, earning more than that, then you're going backwards. And so it's difficult for us uh, right now. The challenge that we have as a company in, in raising uh, equity to grow, there's no, no shortage or lack of opportunities and in, in, in deals, if you will, projects that we have to work on from development to acquisitions and, and portfolios that we're looking to buy. Uh, but we can't raise the, the equity as quickly as we used to because now uh, we are battling that uh, that sentiment by the the feds that uh, they're going to break the economy and so that if that's the case then most of these folks are scared they're not you know we, no matter how much we tell them they should be getting off of cash well you know their their argument to that is uh, well that's great scott but so i'm going to put my money with you and, and ride the economy to the bottom because we're not at the bottom yet because the fed just said that they're not and we don't know exactly what measures they're going to take and and even though you're optimistic and you're in storage and you're in commercial i'm not so sure that i'm still willing to part with my cash because even you don't know what's going to happen and so that's that's where we're at in the economy right now. And that I think is the sentiment. It's it's not necessarily mine, Dutch, but I, I, I think that's what, um, by and large, what most folks are, the sentiment of most folks that are sitting with investable dollars is that they are in cash or on the sidelines and they're just not ready to part with that. Even if um, they, they know that sitting in cash and, and the inflation is eroding the value, they're still not willing to, 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 to get that money back to work. So I've been waiting for this, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, yeah, I have too. I've been waiting to this since 2008. <laughs> yep. Right. We've been and preparing for it. I've been excited about this mm -hmm. and since 2008. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's fascinating this conversation because there's a dynamic here, right? It's a, it's a, it's a dynamic with people's relationship with money. Mm -hmm. It's a dynamic with what the government's doing mm -hmm. and it's a dynamic with, with the reality of economics. You know, the part that I think a lot of people don't understand is, is I don't know that they're going to, break our economy as much as they might break cash yeah. and the value of cash. hundred percent. Yeah. And, 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 and if your cash is broken, but what you're holding on to is cash, you could get yourself into real worse trouble. But the problem is everybody looks at it. They're like, well, my money's in the markets and the markets are losing and then they're losing and then they're losing and then they're losing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so they get into the dynamic because that's what the mainstream understands is, is, right. mm -hmm. is, is, is markets. Mm -hmm. And, I look at this. I always said to myself, when this happens, I want to be in a position to raise the most capital and the most cash I've ever raised in the history of my life mm -hmm. because the buying opportunities exactly. are, are so great. Like the last couple of years, mm -hmm. we were battling with every 
brand new person who had never done investing before mm-hmm. who could just make an offer and, 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 and then make 20% right on a real estate deal. Whereas now only the people that know what they're doing are going to make money. Mm-hmm. And, and, but the ones who know what they're doing are going to make a lot of money. Yep. And, and so we're in this fascinating dynamic right now where, where if you understand it, you understand it. And if you don't, you don't. And, and so that's, that's, you know, the challenge with the average person is, is if they break cash, then what's left. I've always said to myself, the reason I invest in farms and I invest in houses, cause I always say people need a place to live. People need a place to eat, right? People need a place to store their things. These are things mm-hmm. that we saw in 08 where self-storage and apartments, the value proposition in those grew tremendously mm-hmm. after 08, right? They became more valuable, worth more. Mm-hmm. They had mm-hmm. higher occupancy rates. You could charge higher rates, right? With both rents and, and storage. So these are things that I found, you know, very lucrative, right? I hadn't mm-hmm. looked at apartments and self-storage the last, the last, the last two years nearly as much. Cause I didn't see, you know, a five cap wasn't exciting to me. You know, um, mm-hmm. especially when you're saying we need, if you're not making 12, 14, 15% mm-hmm. right now, your money's losing money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for us, we have to shift with, with, with the times in order to do that. Now I know you're in a form of store, storage with, with development and other things where you mm-hmm. make way higher percent returns, but an average person buying storage is different than you buying storage and, 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 and how the, how the game works. But, you know, I, I think what they do is they break, they break cash. What do you, what do you think of that concept? A hundred percent, because um, even though even though we may be buying, it doesn't make sense to buy something at, at 5%. Well, where can you take it at 5% you know, cap rate? Um, well, where can you take it? What kind of value can you build in something? I mean, that's what investors have to look at and how quickly can they raise the value? And also, you know, your all-in returns also include depreciation. So let's not forget that. And so, you know, there's that piece of it. But here's here, here's one thing that I'll, I'll, I guess I'll turn this back to you, Dutch, and, and for everybody else to maybe you know, set your mind um, in a different direction. And that is we are in the 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 largest wealth transfer in history right now from the boomers to the next generation or generations coming behind them. I forget what the trillion is, you know, what the number is in front of it. But the interesting piece is that only 7% of that um, is in cash. And so what that tells me or what I read into this is, um, first of all, the baby boomers did a very good job of investing and, and the greatest wealth transfer is in assets. It's in, it's in real estate. It's in assets. Um, it's not in businesses because that's not counted in it. It's in assets and assets are real estate and only 7% is in cash. So one, um, if you're in cash, um, it's not the best place to be. And, and two, it means that perhaps that number was greater, that cash number was greater, but that has been eroded um, by inflation or that has been eroded because it sat on the sidelines while everything else grew. The greatest wealth transfer was in assets and it was seven percent. So, so maybe all things being equal, apples to apples, maybe 20 years ago, 20% of it was in cash that never got invested. And now it's only 7% because the rest was invested in in, in real estate or hard assets. And I, I don't know that to be true. Um, but what I do know is that is a, that is a very small percentage, which also indicates that um, that is not the place to be right now. So that is how they can affect changes by cash. But if you are in a hard asset, especially an income producing asset, again, like real estate, and I'm, I'm biased, obviously, for many reasons, uh, but for good reason, uh, it is a place to not only hedge against that. So even if you aren't keeping up with inflation, at least it's not eroding and you're not going backwards. And for those of us that have been doing this for a while and you know how to create value, then yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy it a zero cap on something because I know I can turn it around and all things being equal, it could be a 20 cap in two years when I sell it because I've, you know, three X the value in it. And that's, that's, we have the ability to do that when we buy troubled businesses, when we buy troubled 
sold real estate, distressed, anything distressed. Going back to my comments about being a fixer-upper, I think you, you, those that are just going out and paying something retail and, you know, buying a, a multifamily apartment complex at the mall at Macy's and paying top dollar and, you know, getting a, you know, a coupon that pays you 8% or something. I mean, that's, that's okay. And you get the tax advantages of that. But um, folks, you can do better than that. We can all do better than that and, you, and you go out and create value in something. And, and that is the true key to not only going backwards, but also creating wealth. It's fascinating. I probably learned, you know, more of that, you know, from you, Scott, than I did, you know, anybody else in the world when, you know, a decade ago when I, when I was working, you know, with you and Christina and, and mm-hmm. Vanessa and I were in our team was, you know, I, I, I listened, I paid attention. Right. And, and, you know, the things he's saying helped me build, you know, we're closing in on a $150 million portfolio at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we'll, I really truly believe in the next two years, we'll 10 X that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, value add real estate is, is, is so critical. And if you don't know how to add value with, with, within real estate and you a lot of people just bought and they gained appreciation and they made money from that, that was awesome during mm-hmm. that economic time. This is an economy where you have to add value. Well, I had to add value in the last economy too, but at mm-hmm. the same time, this is an economy where you have to add mm-hmm. value within, within the assets with, within your real estate. Now this wealth transfer is fascinating concept because mm-hmm. so one of the things I realized about some of the cities, you know, we've invested in previously, you know, Philly, Philly, Houston, you know, Mm -hmm. being, being two, two of those cities. Right. And, you know, there's a large African-American communities there that dealt in cash, right. Mm -hmm. Because government programs, government loans, you know, there's, there's a certain part of, of discrimination that existed against them being able to borrow money in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I'm glad that, that, that we're past that. And, but those markets, you know, had a cash market. And so those, that was real estate values held Mm -hmm. slowly. Mm-hmm. And because you can only buy and sell cash when you're not using leverage, the values don't going up. It's just like same thing when you go to a car dealership these days, they're going to talk more about the payment than they are mm-hmm. the total price price of the car, you know? And so for us, we started seeing how, how much cash devalued asset, right? Without use, being able to use leverage, without being able to use the tools to be able to grow the, the true value of, of assets and different things. And so when they raise interest rates, they limit the amount of lending, the amount the amount of borrowing, and and that's part of how they want to slow down economics. My challenge with that is, is I feel like they hurt the poor more than they hurt anyone else because I'm still going to go invest. I'm still going to go and buy real estate. If I got to borrow at eight percent versus nine percent, then I'll I'll find better margins. I'll find better deals. It's just what we do. But mm-hmm. a person who's just for the first time in their life, you know, buying a house and they're paying six percent versus three percent the amount the double the payment changes their ability to buy their ability to mm-hmm. um and it changes their monthly extra income they're going to have because they're paying twice as much you know yeah. for assets right. and right. and mm-hmm. so that that to me is kind of where the the rapid raise of interest rates you know i don't think amazon cares that much if they have to borrow money at a certain percent versus another percent. i don't know that amazon mm-hmm. borrows money but mm-hmm. but but i don't think you know, as big companies do those kind of things and big investors do those kind of things, right? They're not mm-hmm. really truly hurting us in the sense they're going to might change the profit margin for my investors, right? But my investors made over 30% last year. Mm-hmm. And so a difference in three interest rates points, yeah. you know, it, it's not going to change their world and not going to change mm-hmm. my world all, all that much, but mm-hmm. the availability of money yes, and the availability of money to make things happen through commerce, the world happens. A lack mm-hmm. of commerce is where the world doesn't happen and business doesn't happen. And I've never in my life felt that saying, 
<clears throat> slowing down business or having less businesses is is is, is a good thing. Well, you're 100 correct, Dutch, and you said you you, you think that this is going to happen and this is a, a, the way it works, and 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 it is 100 because um, as you know, we we go to Mexico, we build houses there, we've been to the Dominican Republic, and we do mission work in Uganda, and um, we, we just started a micro loan program in one of the cities that we do a, a lot of home building in in Ensenada, and it was uh, for a gentleman that we had uh, he received a house and he wanted to start his own business and he wanted to start out he he, he wants to run his own not only a taco stand but then a, eventually a restaurant but he wanted to start with a taco cart and he said he uh, until long story short and this is not doing anything to point back on um, to myself or ourselves and our organization um, but he said he never would have been able to do this if he wouldn't have been able to get a low interest rate loan through this micro loan program because um, he would pay double um, the amount that he would borrow back to the Mexican government I mean these are the areas um, you want to talk about areas of the United States. Um, well, let's just go to an impoverished country. You know these uh, these markets where they they can't borrow either. So twenty percent interest um, over five years, the course of a you know a normal loan, and you're paying double. Um, nobody can afford that. You can't afford that. Um, that that's why no businesses are started. No you know commerce isn't taking place. It's stifled. It's halted. And and, the, and those folks um, uh, in that situation that want to start a business, they don't because um, the cards are stacked against them. So you're right. When you when you begin to raise interest rates that much, then it is not only it, it doesn't just make a dent in in business then all of a sudden it just it shuts down and stops the ability for any startup to occur because um you know most most business startups in the u.s fail you know what what is it 80 90 percent now i don't know what the rate is you know within the first um one to two years and then 75 percent in the next three years after that i mean that's and that's at historical rates of anywhere from five to eight percent and then you go into another country without the the tools the resources the education and they're trying to do a startup at 20 percent interest rates out of the gate forget about it uh, you know it just doesn't work if you look at the last time we raised interest rates at, 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 in a rapid progression, right? Unemployment in the United States went up over 10%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just came from a time where, yeah, it's a pain in the ass as a business owner when there's there's 1% employment and you're having a difficult time finding employees and your employees mm-hmm. can leave your company and they can just go to mm-hmm. another company, right? That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a pain in the ass is different than 11% unemployment. Yeah. And you have, you know, we have, mm-hmm. you know, we're closing in on how, how many people do we have in the United States? 350 million. Yep. That, correct. Mm-hmm. Roughly. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you're talking about 10% mm-hmm. of that, of, of people being not, not underemployed or not having yeah. the wrong employment, but being <clears throat> unemployed mm-hmm. because those, those are newer terms, right. With un, underemployment, wrong mm-hmm. employment. Those are newer terms as a part of our total unemployment mm-hmm. back then. It mm-hmm. meant when they talk about unemployment, it meant those people flat out couldn't find work. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. Out of work and, and looking. Mm-hmm. And that's the last time they raised interest rates like this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I I'm built, you know, with adaptation in, in my blood and genes, like, you know, like you were talking about before, some of your superpowers are also some of, you know, your weaknesses when you're talking about control versus letting go or, you know, some of those different things, you know, for me, my, my ADD, right. Is one of the things mm-hmm. I have to avoid as, mm-hmm. as, as in running our organization. And I have to, you know, be like a bullying lane, you know, what I got bumpers like my kids, right? Yeah. Well, like, remember Dutch, we've had this conversation that uh, there is medication for that. And I can, um, you know, I can point you in the right direction if, uh, if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the, the, if I believed in, in medication for that, I also believe it's yeah. sort of super genius, right? Yeah. My ability to hyper-focus in ways. So of course, and, and, uh, we're pretty naturopathic and homeopathic at this point in our, in our, in our lives too. But the mm-hmm. great part is, you know, for us as, as, as owners, we have to constantly adapt. And so when you're mm-hmm. looking 
at your abysmal or uh, adjustments, you know, what are the things you feel like you might have to do in the next year, you know, as far as adaptation or shift or, or, or shifting? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we're, we're kind of we're, we're slowing a bit. Um, part of it is um, is is by design. Um, you know, we've gotten to that place where I'm I'm trying to release some some of the control that I have in in one of my businesses. It takes a lot of time. It's one of the marketing businesses, and uh, you know, our kids are scattered. Uh, to, our two older kids are in Phoenix, and our younger is getting ready to you know head out of the house uh, very soon. And so we find ourselves having a little more um, a little more time, but uh, but then time to travel. And so by design, we're going to try to slow down so that we have the ability to do. That. That. I'm I'm somewhat letting the market come to us, but it doesn't mean that we're slowing down. Um, like you had mentioned, Dutch, um, you know, we, we've been preparing for this since 2008. I mean, this is this is going to be the biggest land grab, you know, in, in in my lifetime. And in the next five years, we're ready to go. We just need to raise the capital. We got our lending relationships lined up. Um, the deals are, are starting to come right now, and so we're just navigating through this this hump um, until we you know fully get into the recession. Which I just want you know game on. You know, let us know when we're at the bottom, then we'll we'll know what to do. You know, give me the rules and. and will continue to go and so i am looking forward to this next um you know two three years call it um that cycle where we're going to be in in hyper development and and acquisition mode and then we'll spend the next um, two to three years creating value and, and, and selling when interest rates come down and cap rates come down again. And so uh, at the end of that, um, that that four or five year period, then that's when things will look uh, dramatically different. And so as we head into 2023, um, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, our, our marketing spend, how we market our message, really honing in on that, um, keeping track of the dollars. So if something's not working out there, we don't want to overspend in uh, our messaging to our private equity partners, to our, our students and our education business and, you know, anywhere, just being mindful of that. And we're also preparing for the worst. Um, we're not we're not doomsday preppers by any stretch. But you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we're seeing out there that is being talked about in a lot of circles by some really smart folks that we're paying attention to. And so you know, we we are prepared um, to you know for, for call it the worst case scenario, uh, we uh, are able to continue to move forward, and also our staff and those that that, that we're entrusted to. You know, there's a whole lot of folks that um, that we are responsible for in terms of uh, payroll and their livelihood. And and, and, and otherwise, and so we're we're battening down the hatches and preparing for the worst. But at the same time, you know, we are ready to deploy and we are ready to go forward just as uh, as long as we have a clear set of uh, uh, rules. And that is uh, that is kind of developing every day. So uh, that's probably not the best answer that I can give you. But um, no, it's a great, it, it's it a great is how we're operating. If somebody breaks down what you just said and they take <laughs> some of the incremental pieces of it to it and they're paying attention, right? Prepare, preparing for the worst, right? Doesn't mean you're a doomsday prepper, but at, at the same time, to think that. As a great example, Russia and 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 Ukraine are at war, and the United States is clearly entering in, in, into that war in, in in a great many ways, right? Mm-hmm. I was talking with one of our Chinese investors recently, and he said he's scared to put money into more money, and he he's got a, you know invested with us over the years. He's scared to put more money into our fund because he's worried about the propaganda coming out of the Chinese mm-hmm. government, right? And mm-hmm. he he you know and and so those are those are fascinating fascinating you know dynamics that that exists that that I see that are out there it doesn't mean you know we had a hurricane here in Florida <laughs> last week I you know I, I I'm not believing that my house is going to be flood and picked up like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz at the same time I have a generator and I have mm-hmm. you know hundreds of gallons of water and I have my propane and I have different things right that in order mm-hmm. to make sure that you know we're ready for, mm-hmm. for the things that are coming when it comes to our businesses it's the same concept you know being prepared for the worst there's a succession plan if i walk out of this office tomorrow and i die mm-hmm. and and i get in a car accident right there's a succession plan directly for our company for my investors you know mm-hmm. when you talk about 
people that we're responsible for, you know, we're at closing in on, on 4,500 total, total investors between our REIT and our inner circle, you know? So I got 4,500 people right there that we're responsible to when it comes to their capital and their money. And then mm -hmm. I have 200 employees right across the board in the company. And those are 200 people, but you multiply them times, you know, four because of mm -hmm. their families. And then now you're at eight, 800, right. That you're responsible mm -hmm. for in different ways. And so if we didn't have a succession plan planning for the worst, it would, it, it would be terrible. Right. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're aggressively, you have to pay attention to where he's talking about. Mm -hmm. He's aggressively preparing for what's happening right now. He has a specific model in mind for what's happening right now. He is acquiring more property so he can develop it. If you didn't hear that, if you weren't paying attention to that, that was in his words, right? So these are things as investors, when you look at companies that you're out there looking at who to invest in, not invest into, you have to pay attention to these things. Cause if they don't have these plans, if they don't have these compartmentalized, then you need to move on to the next company and look at who to invest into, because this is huge for those of you that, that are listening on what to do and what not to do during these times. Cause the reality, if your money sits on the shelf, it's going to erode, it's going to, it's going to disappear. And, and if your money's active, you're making active decisions on what to and what not to invest into and who to and not to invest into. And so as I listen to that, that's a roadmap of a plan of how to handle things, not handle things, how to do things. Now, slowing down doesn't mean that your business isn't growing faster. Right. And that's something a lot of entrepreneurs or owners can't understand either. And so he talked about mm -hmm. how he's gotten to a place where his kids are in school, college, right? And, mm -hmm. and he wants to go and see them. That's one of the things you want to mm -hmm. do, but you also want more time. At the same time, you're stepping back and allowing the market coming to you, allowing your business to work, allowing it to operate because it's already prepared for this. If you weren't prepared for this right now, you'd be scrambling. You'd be running all over mm -hmm. the place trying to figure out well, how you're going to do this or what you're going to do this or what, how's this going to affect you or what that's going to happen. And so you'd be a mess when it comes to this economy that, that that's coming. And so I think for me, that should give not only our, our investors who are listening to this, you know, confidence, if they want to go, you know, and invest in, in, in Scott's world, right. Go do it. I, I give you guys mm -hmm. full, you know, belief in hundred percent, you know, stand behind, stand behind that. And that's not something I think you guys have ever actually heard me say on one of our podcasts or heard me say, on anything that, that we've shared with an outside company or, or, or another company, go, go and do it. Cause you'll have success with it. But I feel like that roadmap is so important. And so as I listened to you, Scotty, you said a lot more than what you probably realized in, in that moment, or maybe, maybe, you, you know, as well at the same time as we go back and, and revisit it, but, but I, I loved what, what you're sharing. I think we're, you know, we did, you know, our solid hour here today. I think what you shared mm -hmm. was amazing. We're going to put links so you guys can go, you know, know who Scott is and know where he's headed. He, it's an incredible company. I would say if I can, you know, take a lot of, you know, our DNA as an organization and follow and map what Scott's is, you know, over, over a decade plus, you know, it's funny. I say that. And I used to hear that crap from gurus <laughs> or putting other gurus. And I'm like, you guys have only known each other like 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now, you know, I've known it's hard Scott. to fake it on a podcast when uh, they have somebody on that they just met uh, because uh, they, they booked a podcast two days before from their agency. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> it just blows my mind. I'm, I'm, I've known Scott, you know, 12 years. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, I've looked up to him when I, when I, when I was getting going as, as somebody who, who did it right. Um, and, and, and now, you know, 12 years later, you know, I've been able to build, you know, this incredible portfolio. He's been able to build an incredible portfolio and there's only so many of us out there, um, mm -hmm. with shared beliefs with, with, with shared mission. 
And, and so, you know, we'll put his links into the website. Is there anything else you want to share with everybody, everybody, Scott, who's listening? No, Dutch, just, uh, I appreciate getting back together once, uh, once again and, uh, and having a candid conversation. And I hope that, um, something that we talked about sparked uh, something in, in, in people out there to maybe uh, allow them to think a little bit differently, hopefully in a more positive fashion or something to, to boost their business or their personal life as well. Cause that's kind of at the end of the day, that's where the, the phase and where we're headed right now is uh, really more into a legacy and, um, how we can, you know, affect change in people's businesses and lives versus, uh, just uh, make a dollar for ourselves or advance our causes. So I appreciate the opportunity once again and uh, appreciate again, everything that you're doing Dutch and just great to catch up. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the rad podcast, explore wealth. If you would like more information, visit our website, www.raddiversified.com. That's www.raddiversified.com. If you enjoy what you're listening to, leave us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more content, visit our YouTube channel, The Rad Podcast. Explore wealth.